good morning, everyone. Good morning. For anyone new that I have not met yet, my name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. For anyone joining us for the first or second time, we're on our third week through our sermon series of 1 John, uh, titled Be Loved. That is the theme of our series, paying close attention to God's love for us and our love for others. Uh, now, I will just come right out of the gate um, with a caveat. This is a tough message. This is a tough scripture to sit with all week. And now it's your turn. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, but what I will say, uh, I am in this with you. Like, I wish, I wish I could record this and sit front row and, like, hear it. I am, I am in this with you. I can promise you that. However convicting it is, though, we will see the, the light of the gospel shine brightly through it. Now, this letter, this letter of 1 John, this was written by the Apostle John. He is the same author who wrote the Gospel of John. He's the same author who wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation. He wrote a couple of other letters as well. John was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the 12. He was the disciple that called himself the one whom Jesus loved, which I know sounds conceited, but if you really think about it, that it, what a beautiful recognition uh, of the love of Jesus for him. So he had a very close relationship with Jesus. He walked with him daily. He saw, taught all of it with Jesus. And this letter is remarkable in its simplicity. Like you have to play gymnastics with this to sort of squeeze around what it's, what it's saying in its simplicity. But it is really challenging. And we get a lot of different themes, contrasting themes, light versus dark, truth versus lies, righteousness versus sin, that we're all going to see in our scripture for today. But the challenge of 1 John, at least as I find it as we go through it and as I studied it, this week in our scripture is not one of knowledge. Like there's nothing in here, especially today, that's going to blow your mind intellectually. But if we let it, it will seriously challenge us practically, inviting us into a relationship born from love that moves out in love. Now, let me give us an image or a word picture, if you will, to set the backdrop for the themes that we're gonna see in our scripture Today, when Ashley's mom passed away and went home to be with the Lord last spring, dear friends of ours sent us a magnolia tree. Now, this is a picture of a magnolia tree. They are beautiful. They are colorful. They are majestic. I mean, what a beautiful, wonderful gift. This is a picture of our magnolia tree. <laughs> like I said to first service, though, look just past it. The lawn is killer right now. But that is our magnolia tree. Now, to be fair, it looks exactly like it did when I took it out of the box, which means I haven't gone backwards at all with it. I planted it, no shortage of rain, you know, this summer and, and this fall so far, and we're getting maybe some sun soon. But how will I know when that has taken root? When I see growth, when I see new leaves, when I see blooms, when I see evidence. Now, the plant does not go from this picture to the first picture in a week. Growth is a process, right? It can be a slow process. It can be two steps forward and one back at times. And that is so true of our spiritual growth as well. It is a process of growth, of change. And if you've been in this long enough, 
read like five minutes, you will know for sure that it can feel like two steps forward, one step back. But how do you know that you know that you are rooted in Jesus? There should be growth. There should be new leaves. There should be blooms. There should be evidence. So it is against this backdrop, we'll look today at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 17 in specific. And as we go through our scripture, I want to pull out four main points for us today. Number one, direction, not perfection. Number two, deeds, not creeds. Number three, affirmation, not condemnation. And number four, life, not death. So again, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 17. That's found on page 986 of the Blue Bible in front of you. And for context, I want to start our reading with, verses one, with verse 1 of chapter 2. So follow along. John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. He's the payment that was put forward for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, this word is simple yet challenging. It is easy to understand, yet difficult to swallow. And absent your Holy Spirit in here today, absent your Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, we will not follow God's commandments. We will not walk in the way of love. We will not yield our will to yours. We will not love one another. 
And so, Father, we are dependent on you to take this information and move it from our head to our hearts that we would walk this out, live this out, knowing that you as the perfect and good and loving and graceful and merciful Father, when you call us either to something or away from something, it is not that you are withholding something good. It is literally because you do love us and you want what's best for us as your children. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts that we would know that we know. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you followed along in your Bible, it's easy to see how this portion of John's letter separates out into these four sections, and yet it is entirely cohesive. So let's dive into our first point, which is direction, not perfection. Again, John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the payment for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, most of the time, pretty much every time, you can quickly ascertain an author's main point or points by paying attention simply to the repetition of words. The two most repeated words in 1 John are love and know. 35 times for love, 33 times for no. In fact, in verses 3 through 6, four verses, John uses the word to know four times. Why? What he's saying is there is a very simple test, if you will, by which we can know that we know Jesus. And what is this test? Keep Jesus' commandments. And he states it negatively and then positively. First, he says, if you say you know Jesus but you do not keep his commandments, you're a liar. Those aren't my words, those are his. And then he says, but if you keep his word, in you truly the love of God is perfected, is fulfilled, is complete. Now, okay, we got to unpack this because if I stop now and move on, there's no gospel, right? Not for me at least. This as presented is not good news. So what is John saying? Well, let me start with what he is not saying. And again, this is another reason why I wanted to start in verse 1. I could create a huge, legalistic, works-based hammer out of verses 3 through 6. But verse 1 and 2 guard against that. It is a theological pretzel to say that when we sin, we can go to Jesus, who is our advocate, the one who paid the price for our sins, but you better keep all his commandments or else you're doomed. John is not talking about a works-based salvation. Works-based salvation is not a thing. It doesn't exist. Look at what Paul writes to the Corinthians. It's cut and dry. I'm sorry, the Galatians. He says, 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Pop quiz Trinity. How many people will be justified by works of the law? Zero. John, being close to 90 years old at this point, is pastorally writing to his little flock concerning the direction of their life, not the perfection of their life. Following Jesus' commands is not an avenue for salvation. It is evidence of salvation. And the original language helps us understand this more, and we're going to come back to the Greek over and over again because it really makes a difference here. The knowledge that John refers to is an intimate knowledge of someone's presence, character, and being. This is deep experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just knowing about him. And by this we know, John writes, this is present tense, meaning that we have this deep intimate relationship with the Lord that is increasing at an ever-expanding rate. If you're married or if you have a long-term friendship, you know this to be true. Think about how that relationship has grown and expanded and deepened over time. And he also writes that we have come to know. This is the perfect tense, meaning that the knowledge that we gained at a point in the past continues in the present. So you put that all together, and this is what it means. That a true Christian gives their life to Jesus as Lord and Savior is saved in that moment by grace alone, through faith alone, and that relationship deepens and grows and abides now and forever. And what is the mark of that relationship? A love of and a love for Jesus' commands. Keeping, guarding, holding fast to, Loving Jesus' commands is not the condition for knowing Jesus. It is the consequence of knowing Jesus. Someone united by grace, through faith, with Jesus, no longer pursues sin as he once did. No longer excuses sin as he once did. No longer enjoys sin as he once did, is not comfortable living in habitual sin. But it's not just the waning presence of sin in one's own life, but the growing presence of righteousness. A believer has a heart for the Lord and for his word. A believer is growing in humility and grace and peace and kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control. A believer loves what God loves, and a believer is grieved by what grieves God. A believer is not okay with people being far from God. For a believer, it is not about having to or needing to follow the truth and the way and the life of Jesus. It's a want to. Direction, not perfection. If you say you are in relationship with Jesus, Ask yourself the tough questions. You already know the answers. If you find yourself asking how close you can get to the line before it's called sin, you haven't fully grasped the glory of the gospel. 
And if you find yourself asking what the bare minimum you have to do to obey Jesus is, you haven't fully grasped the beauty of the gospel. Again, I know this because I'm in this with you. And again, we read verses 3 through 6 and we understand them in the shadow of verses 1 and 2. When, not if, when you find yourself falling down, bring it to Jesus. He is the one who picks us up. He is the one who dusts us off. And he is the one that puts us right back on the field. Amen? Direction, not perfection. Next point, deeds, not creeds. This brings us to verses 7 through 11. John writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. All right, let's untangle what sounds like a knot here in the beginning, right? I'm not writing you a new command. It's old, but it's new. All right, carry the one. (laughs) Here again, the original language is helpful. Whereas in English, the word new is used in various ways. Same word, various ways. The Greek language has a couple of main words for this word new. One considers the passage of time. The other, the quality of the object. So although a new application, John's thought train continues in these verses from what we just looked at. You love Jesus, you follow his commands. I am not about to tell you a new command to follow. It is ancient, but it is newly demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The ancient but new command, love your brother. 1,500 years before John's letter, God's instructions to the Israelites, Leviticus 19.18. I'm sure you all read it in a devotional this week. (laughs) You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor. I am the Lord. And one day Jesus is put to the test by the Pharisees. And one of them steps up and asks him, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And they wanted, this is not a sincere question. They wanted nothing more than to trap Jesus. Nothing more than to catch him choosing one over the other. Which is the greatest commandment? Choose one. You could probably hear a pin drop. What's he going to say, right? We've got him now. He's got to choose. Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first and greatest, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus, make a choice. Which is it? Which one's the greatest? Jesus, well, I would say commandments 1 through 3 followed really closely by 4 through 10. (laughs) Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. 
and more from the master, right? He said to his disciples, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples because of what you say or because of what you teach if you have love for one another. And what kind of love? What kind of love did Jesus demonstrate? One word sums it up. Sacrificial. Jesus didn't just preach and teach about sacrificial love. The king of the universe let enemies of God nail his body to a wooden cross, all the while begging the Father to forgive them. And don't hold it at arm's length. It might have been the Roman soldier's hand on the hammer, but it was my sin and yours that held him there. The proof of Jesus' love, the evidence of God's love for you and for me is not in only what Jesus said, but what he did. The cross is wide enough to invite every human. It is high enough to take us to heaven. It is long enough to last for all of eternity, and it is deep enough to reach even the most guilty of sinner. Deeds, not creeds. Behind every profession of love, there must be a possession of love. You say you know Jesus, but you do not keep his commandments. If you say you love Jesus, but you hate your brother, you're not in the light, you are in the dark. Now, let me expose an inconvenient truth that I only know because I do it too. We so often put the easiest benchmark to the commands of Jesus so we can do the least possible to fulfill them. And we so often put the harshest definition to sin which ensures we never commit one. What is the biblical definition of hate? A habitual casting out. A refusal to associate with someone. That's it. That's it. Ever hated someone? I have. And isn't that the opposite of love and the exact opposite of what Jesus did? Love constantly seeks out to draw in where hate constantly pushes away. And look at what John tells us as a natural outward outworking of hatred. In verse 10, John says that whoever loves his brother abides in the light, in the truth, in Jesus, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. This Greek word to stumble is the Greek word scandalon, from which we get our English word scandal. It's a word that refers to not the trap that captures you, but the trigger which, which springs the trap itself. In other words, if you choose not to love your brother, you trigger a trap that ensnares you and enslaves you. So is God's word just giving us a command here for command's sake? No. If in hatred there's slavery, in love there's freedom. In my humble opinion, this is the most unlived truth in the church today. Look at the scandals. Look at the division. Look at the gossip. Look at the suspicion, the factions, the self-protection. All the while we claim to know God and claim to know Jesus. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but those who do the will of the Father. If you were on trial and charges were brought against you for following the commands of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Right about now, this feels like a hammer. Right about now, this feels heavy. Like, where's the good news in all this? Where's the gospel you were talking about? This looks and sounds bleak, like not feeling the love today, Pastor David. And that is probably exactly how John's readers felt. Which is why I think the elder pastor, the shepherd, is careful and intentional to include the next section. Affirmation, not condemnation. I affirm new Christian, is what he's saying. Little children, that your sins are forgiven for Jesus' name's sake, period. I affirm, spiritual fathers, that you do in fact know Jesus, who is the eternal one, period. I affirm those maturing in the faith that you are made strong by the word of God in you, and through that strength you have overcome the evil one, period. Identity, relationship, victory in, with, and through Jesus Christ. I am writing to you because this is who you are. You are blood-bought, resurrection-redeemed, Holy Spirit-sealed children of God. Remember who you are, whose you are, and the call we have on our life. Trinity, we must be reminded over and over and over again that our spiritual standing in its final analysis depends only on the promise and power of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The only theologically true ending to this sentence, I know that I am saved because, is because I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and made him Lord of my life. Any other ending to that sentence is eternally insufficient. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will cherish his commandments and you will live out a life of love and sacrifice. Final point, life, not death. John moves from our relationship with Jesus and his commandments to our relationship with Jesus and his people to our relationship with the world. We are to love Jesus' commandments. We are to love our brothers and sisters. We are not to love the world or the things of the world. Now, wait a second. In John's gospel, the same John, he writes perhaps the most famous verse in all of Scripture. You'll see it on a sign at the football game this afternoon. John 3.16 which begins, for God so loved the world. No fancy tricks here with the Greek language. Love, the same Greek word used in 1 John. World, the same Greek word used in 1 John. The difference is in how John uses the word cosmos. Between John's gospel and his letters, he uses this word for world in 10 different ways. Ten different meanings, same word. He uses it to mean the entire universe in some cases. He uses it to mean the planet we inhabit. 
He uses it to mean mankind in general, John 3.16. But here he uses it to mean the system, the network of darkness, the world as an agenda that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-family, anti-purity. This system tries at every twist and turn to suppress the truth of God, destroy the character of God, cheapen the grace of God, divide and distract the people of God. And so what John sets up here is a distinction between the people within the world who Jesus came to rescue and this world system that is evil at its nature. When God created the world and everything in it, read the universe, he said it was good. When, jo- when God created humans, he said it was very good. And so in this, John sets up this separatist mindset and destroys the separatist mindset. We cannot distance ourselves from the love for and care of God's creation, including mankind. No, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. But we are to distance ourselves, buffer ourselves, guard ourselves against three things which emanate from this evil network, this evil system, this evil power, the lust of the eyes, the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This word lust is a combination of two Greek words, which means an intense desire. But John's focus is not so much on the intense desire, but the object of it. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. But the intense desire for money as an object will make you serve money and not God. And you cannot serve two masters. Relational intimacy was created by God for marriage between a man and a woman. But an intense desire to satisfy the flesh, I mean, do I even need to get into that? (laughs) Steve will be in the ministry center after church giving a... Theology of intimacy. We were created with an intense desire for God. Make no mistake about it. We go astray when we try to fill that desire with the things of this earth, with the things of this world. Think of Eve in the garden. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. I know what God said. Man, I bet that tastes good. That force working against the will and command of God is inward out. The lust of the flesh. Outward in is the lust of the eyes. Now let me tell you what you already know. This evil system, this evil network, the world, has a marketing department second to none. It is an assault on the senses, especially the eyes, because the eyes are the window to what? The soul. If the fleshly desires within us are dry tinder, the eyes have the ability to strike the match. Think of Eve in the garden. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Match lit, inferno ensues. She takes, eat that, that which is forbidden, and she gave it to her husband. King David, at a time when kings are supposed to be at war, 
walking out on his colonnade, sees a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. This led to the murder of her husband and the death of a child. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Again, Eve in the garden. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. The desire to indulge, the desire to possess, and the desire to impress. Temptation complete. And John's language is very, very strong here. We are to have nothing to do with the world and its evil desires. Not get as close as you can. Nothing. The world, this evil system will tell you, if it makes you feel good, do it. If it looks good, have it. If you want it, take it. And that system and all of its desires is passing away. It is literally dead man walking. The way of the world leads to death now and forever. That is a fact. But the way of God leads to life now and forever. That is a fact. Let me close with this. In the last days of the Civil War, President Lincoln tasting victory both politically nearing the passage of the proclamation and militarily when Virginia would fall to the Union Army, he traveled to a slave auction. There, a young black girl was on the block being bid by many, figuring she would be purchased and abused just like all the rest. Lincoln made sure to win the bid. And as he left the auction, with his purchase, he said, young lady, you are free. She said in disbelief, sir, what does that mean? It means you are free. So I can stay anywhere I want to say, stay? Yes, my dear, Lincoln replied, wherever you want to stay. I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, my dear, Lincoln replied, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? Yes, my dear, you can go wherever you want to go. And the young girl with tears in her eyes said, then I'll go with you. And brothers and sisters, we've been ransomed from slavery and rescued from death by Jesus Christ. Who more generous to obey? Who more kind to abide in? And who more loving to follow? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of our brother John who walked with you, who knew you, who loved you, and you loved him, who now sits with you in your glory for all of eternity. And his words, they can, they can cut deep, but I thank you for the gospel ointment that you apply over them. I thank you for the freedom in following the commandments of Jesus. Obedience is, feels like such a harsh word to us. Speaking for myself, Father, I know that I want to, as soon as I hear the word, I want to put up a wall. 
I want to buck up against it. So thank you that there is so much freedom in obeying your commands. Because the world wants to trap us and ensnare us and distract us and divide us. But you who truly love us, like a loving father, protects their children from things that will harm them and guides them into things of righteousness that are good for them. And so would we have that perspective when the enemy whispers to us, did God really say? Would we say, yes, he did, and that's it? Would you give us the ears to hear your Holy Spirit speaking to us? Would you give the courage and the boldness to walk in the way of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It is a daily grind, Father, to do that. And we will fall and we will stumble and I have fallen and I have stumbled and I will do it again. So thank you that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who went to the cross willingly who shed his blood willingly, who died our death willingly, and three days later rose from the grave in victory over Satan, sin, and death. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession for us because he is our advocate. So Father, continue to take these truths and move them from our head into our hearts that we recognize the freedom that was purchased for us on that cross, and we say, then I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.